Thanks for being here. Thanks for what you do. Thank you. Thank you for impacting the lives of youth. Thank you for making a kingdom difference. Thank you. Do you hear that? Do you ever hear that? I mean, do you hear it at all? Thank you. Because if you do, that's a blessing. Because there are a lot in this room that don't hear that. And so I want to tell you now, thank you. Thank you for investing in teenagers and loving them in the quirky life that they live as they are changing and going through everything. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, my name is Leon Jameson, and uh, I live in Wisconsin. Any Wisconsin folks in here? Whoop, whoop, a few of you, which is great. So those of you from Wisconsin know this. Uh, those of you that aren't from Wisconsin, I'm going to share a couple insights that I've learned. So I've been in Wisconsin for about uh, four years, and so there's some interesting things about Wisconsin. One that you probably know is that Wisconsin has some amazing cheese, right? Amazing cheese. Has some amazing cheese. But they also, also have some amazing um, way to refer and, and, and some amazing things that they, they call a little bit differently than others. So, so look at this. So we would call this a paper bag, right? Yeah, in Wisconsin, it's a paper bag, like egg, bag, right? Now you might go, okay, that's, you know, okay, not a big deal. Oh yeah, wait for this one. So this is a water fountain. Yeah, see, you just said bubbler. See, a water bubbler. No, it's a water fountain and they call it a bubbler, a bubbler, right? So kids at our church are saying, Pastor Leon, where's the bubbler? And I'm like, uh, you're not old enough to have champagne. What are you, what are you asking? <laughs> like, wait a second. Right? That's what they call a water fountain, which is kind of crazy. So uh, I'm associate pastor of Next Gen Ministry at Hales Corners Lutheran Church. It's a, a church kind of just outside of Milwaukee. Um, uh, Next Gen Ministry, if you haven't heard that phrase before, that means I, uh, I get to, uh, to work with and serve children and youth and families, and I absolutely love it. I've been doing that kind of gig for, uh, for almost 25 years now, and I, and I just love it. I still have a passion for it, and I'm blessed to be at, uh, at Hales Corners Lutheran, uh, where I, I get to continue to do that. I work with a, a team of, of about 10 members and, and, and work with them in team ministry, and they, and they do a lot of hands-on stuff, and I get, to, I get to do all sorts of age stuff in all of those areas, and I'm blessed to be able to do that. Uh, this is also my ministry. This is my family. This is my wife, Gretchen, and my two girls. Uh, my oldest, Sydney, who is going to be in sixth grade this year, so I get to start teaching her in confirmation, which will be kind of fun. Uh, and then my youngest, uh, Riel, who is going into first grade, so she's no longer a baby. She's not in kindergarten. She had that little kindergarten graduation this year. <sighs> right? They're growing up. So I am, in a house of girls, the head camp counselor at Camp Estrogen. <laughs> right? Everyone in our house is a girl. Even our dog is a girl. This is Luna. Everyone say hi, Luna. She's a golden doodle. Anyone have a golden doodle out there? They're great dogs, a couple of you. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is Luna. It's amazing. I tell you, um, any other guys in here, uh, the only dude in a house of girls? couple of you. So you guys can, you can relate to this. So, so when you live with all girls, it means that there is always someone that's crying. And it's usually me. Right? No, I love, I love my family. I do. I love, love my wife, love my girls. It's a joy uh, to be connected um, in, in what we do and, and live together. Right? More than pizza and Fortnite, defining success in youth ministry. We're going 
We're going to kind of step into that a little bit. But before I do, um, I want to tell you a little story. And, and here's why I want to tell you this story. I started as we all came together and I said, thank you, right? I said, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for investing in teenagers. Thank you. Thank you for being in youth ministry. And I'm curious, in this room, how many of you, how many of you are volunteers in youth ministry in this room? Okay, so a good percentage of you. How many of you are a, a professional uh, church worker in youth ministry? There's a handful of you guys as well. All right. So, uh, so I'm curious, um, how many of you, this is your very first experience doing youth ministry, going to the National Youth Gathering? There's a few of you. God bless you guys, All right? How many of you have been doing uh, youth ministry for more than 20 years? There's a couple of you. How about more than 40 years? <laughs> you're like, what? You're, you're counting, so it's got to be close. 35? Anyone more than 35? No? What's your name, sir? John? Awesome. Where are you from? Uh, Reno, Nevada. Reno. Can we show some appreciation for John? 35 years of ministry? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And let's do this. Those that are professionals in youth ministry, um, I want you to do something with me. Raise your hand again if you're a volunteer in youth ministry. Let's show our appreciation to these volunteers. Okay? Thank you, guys. Thanks for investing in kids. And why do I keep saying thank you? I keep saying thank you because there is someone like you that invested in me that changed my life. And it is, it is through someone like you that fast forward lots of years, right, that all of a sudden I'm now working with some volunteers and telling them thank you because he made a huge difference in my life. His name was Tim. But before I tell you about Tim, I need to tell you a little bit um, about a birthday gift that I received when I was seven years old. It was my birthday, and I opened this box, and in that box was a Superman suit. It was a Superman suit. And I was like, oh, a Superman suit. And so I grabbed that box, that birthday gift, and I ran up the stairs to my bedroom. And I started to put on my Superman suit, right? And so I pulled out that Superman shirt with that beautiful Superman emblem, right? Red and, and yellow and, and blue. And it was beautiful. I put it on. And then I pulled out the Superman pants, because Superman wears pants, not tights. So I put on the pants, right? And I have the Superman pants on. And then <gasps> there was the cape. And so I grabbed that Superman cape and I put it on. And then I noticed under the Superman cape in the box was a, a note. And the note said, warning, this is a costume. Only Superman can fly. I thought, okay, that's a good warning, probably intended for my parents. So me, in my Superman suit, ran down the stairs, out the front door to my favorite oak tree. And I began to climb. I began to climb and picturing in my mind's eye, Superman, right? Superman with his arms stretched forward, his knee tucked up, and his cape in the background. And I'm picturing this as I'm getting higher and higher in this oak tree, picturing Superman flying in the sky. Because you see, you need to understand something about Superman. He was my hero. And when I got this, this costume, I was like, no way, I'm going to be Superman. And so I'm climbing up the oak tree, and then I get to a branch that was kind of large enough, and I started to shuffle out, all the while 
picturing in my mind Superman flying, arms stretched out, knee tucked under, cape in the background. And I start to count down. Three, two, one. And I jumped from that limb and I stretched my arm forward and I tucked under my knee. And when I woke up, <laughs> I decided not to try the speeding bullet thing. Right? My, my mom tells me that I wore my Superman suit everywhere. I would wear it to the bank, I'd wear it to the grocery store. Right? I loved wearing my Superman suit. I, I tried to wear it to church, but that's where she said no. And I remember, I remember wherever I would wear my Superman suit, people would smile at me, some people would point, some people would make fun of me, but I didn't care. Superman was my hero. Right? And when you have a hero, you want to look like that person no matter what. Well, Fast forward to my preteen years, I had a friend named Seth, right? And Seth, so understand, those of you that are young, like 16 in here, uh, there was this thing as I was growing up, you couldn't like instantly download a TV show and watch it at demand. You actually had to wake up to watch cartoons, right? It's called Saturday Morning Cartoons. And so Seth would have a sleepover, right? Some of you are shaking your heads like, yeah, they don't know what it's like, right? <laughs> You'd have a sleepover, and then you'd wake up early to watch your favorite cartoons. Well, Seth's favorite cartoon was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anyone want to guess what his favorite turtle was? Michelangelo. It was Michelangelo. And, and do you remember what Michelangelo would call out all the time? He'd call out pizza, but he'd also say, cowabunga, dude, right? And so you need to understand something about Seth. When you spent the night and you watched cartoons, it was not a spectator sport. And so what I mean by that is as soon as that theme music for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came on, we were up and we were jumping from couch to couch, right? And he would have this, this Michelangelo mask. He had created these Michelangelo nunchucks, right, out of paper towel rolls and like string. And he would swing them around, jump back and forth yelling, cowabunga, dude, because Michelangelo was Seth's hero. And when you have a hero, you want to look like that person no matter what. Well, fast forward to high school, and a real-life hero took center stage in my life. Now, don't get me wrong. I still love superhero, Superman. I love superheroes in general. But this, uh, this man was Tim. Tim was a Marine, Tim was a volunteer in our youth ministry, and Tim was a giant, six foot seven. He had legs the size of tree trunks. He didn't have a six pack, he had a 12 pack, <laughs> right? He had, he had biceps like mine. <laughs> Tim was a human muscle, but he wasn't just a muscle, he was a golden retriever. Do you know what I mean by that? He was the kindest, most sensitive man. He was an amazing man of God, and he was a volunteer in our youth ministry. And I loved, I loved spending time with him. I, I remember, I remember specifically, there were moments in youth ministry with him as a leader, as a volunteer, where he would have us over for Bible study at his home, right? And I remember, still today, I remember smells of food that we would eat. I remember games that we would play. I remember certain things that he did. And I always remember being captivated by the way Tim would talk about Jesus and teach about Jesus, the way he would pray. And, and I started doing this thing when he would have us over at his house, 
after Bible study, when we'd kind of move into the game time, I would sneak away right before snack, and I would go to his closet, and I'd put on his little combat jacket. And then I'd step into his combat boots, and I'd put on his, his military hat, right? All of which were just gigantic on me. And I'd walk out amongst the kids and I'd start pretending like I was Tim and they would laugh and I would laugh and Tim would laugh. But in some ways I wasn't playing dress up because Tim had become my hero. And when you have a hero, you want to look like that person no matter what. Well, fast forward to college and I realized something really important about Tim. Tim, volunteer in our youth ministry, he also had a hero. He had a hero that he shaped and modeled his life after. He had a hero that laid his life on the line for Tim. He had a hero that changed how he approached how he did ministry and lived life. See, when you have a hero, you want to look like that person no matter what. There's an amazing verse in, in Scripture. It's a, uh, a verse from, from Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, and, and it says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Tim sought to be an imitator of God. Because when you have a hero, you want to look like that person no matter what. And so I say thank you. Because a volunteer in youth ministry shaped, had a hand in shaping who I became today. And I promise you, although you may not see it, there is someone that's looking to you. Perhaps they're calling you a hero of their life, of their faith as you're helping to shape. And so thank you. Thank you for investing in teenagers, for loving them, for doing kingdom work, for doing Jesus work. Have I said that enough yet? Thank you. Thank you. So we're, we're here together, right? We're here together in this topic, more than pizza and Fortnite. And then there's this bottom kind of tagline, defining success in youth ministry. And, and that's the topic they gave me. They said, we really want you to define success in youth ministry. So I, I kind of threw on the fun, you know, okay, that'll attract some people in. But you know what? I, I, as I'm sitting there, I'm going, success in youth ministry, ah, I'm just not comfortable with that word. I'm not comfortable with that word because I think it's a word we have to rethink in youth ministry and ministry in general, right? Because here's the thing. Your churches, your youth groups are as unique as the individual kids that you serve. So how can I tell you with a youth group of six what's successful when just next to you is someone with a youth group of 90, right? So how do I tell you what's success in youth ministry? So you know what I did? I changed the title. And I want to call it Markers of Effective Youth Ministry because I do think there are certain markers that transcend numbers and, and settings and church dynamics and the way that you might worship at church, right? There are certain markers that we can identify. And so together, as we, uh, we spend some time today, we're actually gonna look at four markers of effective youth ministry. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. These are just four. There is a lot more out there. But I do think that these four 
will help you kind of think about your approach. Maybe rekindle the fire and and what you're doing in youth ministry or at very least get you to think. And so here's the first one. Check your heart. Everyone say, check your heart. It was 1998. I was 21, straight out of school. I was excited. I was excited to serve. I was eager. I was ready. And I was determined. I was determined to do ministry that was fun. I was determined to have kids like me. I was determined to play fun games. I was determined to do pizza and whatever Fortnite would have been way back when right? I was determined for those things. I was determined for kids to like me. I was determined to play guitar. Not very good, but I would play the guitar, right? I was determined to do all those things, and I was busy. I was busy doing these things. 60, 70 hours a a week, I would invest in youth ministry as I'm serving and loving on kids, right? I was determined, and I was busy, busy doing important things. But I was missing the most important thing. I was busy doing important things, but I was missing the most important thing. I was drifting. I was majoring what was minor. I was missing what I needed to focus on. And I needed this. I needed to check my heart. See, sometimes, sometimes in youth ministry, we get busy. We get busy doing important things, right? Let's check the room. Um, How many of you have been busy doing uh, retreats in youth ministry, right? How many of you have been busy leading a Bible class in youth ministry? How many of you have been busy uh, doing a devotion in youth ministry? How many of you have been busy praying for kids in youth ministry? How many of you have been busy coordinating a trip to the National Youth Gathering in youth ministry? How many of you have been busy trying to figure out how to feed your group at a National Youth Gathering, right? (laughs) How many of you have been busy caring for the souls, caring for the hearts, caring for the relationships of the kids that you're charged to serve? Right, we're we're busy, right? Busy doing important things. Those are important things. But sometimes, sometimes we can get so busy doing the important things that we miss the most important thing. And we need a heart check. One of the most important markers of effective youth ministry starts with you. Starts with your heart. Because everything, everything you do in youth ministry begins with your heart. And we need a heart check. Turn to your neighbor, say, you need a heart check. Some of you are like, literally, it's hot in here. I think I might need a heart check, all right? (laughs) See, in order for us to inspire faith in others, in those that we serve, we need authentic faith in our own life. And if you're like me, if you're like me in my ministry, sometimes there are stretches. And this is something that I've, I've dealt with from early on in ministry to where I am now. There are stretches, there are times when, when it comes to, to personal Bible study, when it comes to devotion, when it comes to prayer life, when it comes to Sabbath, when it comes to worship, when it comes to those things, I drift. I major in what's minor and I minimize what Jesus maximized. When it comes to my walk with Jesus, sometimes I can be a faker. 
And oh dear God, it hurts to admit that. But it's so true. It is so true. And I wonder if you can relate. And I wonder if you can relate in this way. Uh, sometimes our faith walk might look like this. We pretend that it's smooth and in step when it's really kind of a stumble. We kind of seem to be tripping over things, right? We think that our Hillsong playlist is enough to listen to. We think that reading our daily devotional, speed reading our daily devotional is, uh, is enough. We think that because we're preparing a Bible study and we're in God's word that that is enough. When we know, we know that's different. It's, it's not. It's not the same. You can fake a genuine walk with Jesus for a while, but not forever. Remember, everything you do begins with your heart. And every single one of us needs to check our heart. And here's why. There is a, a verse... Uh, probably a familiar verse that you've heard before. It's from Matthew 22. These are Jesus's words. Uh, I want to invite you to, to read this with me if you can see it. So from Matthew 22, 37 to 39, let's read it together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So theological question. What's the distinction between these two commandments. What's the distinction? Okay, so you're heading down the road where we'll get to, upwardly, outwardly. I'm liking the connection. Really simply, there's one that's the first, the most important, and there's one that's the second, right? L look at the text there. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Jesus says this is the and the greatest commandment, right? And so this is what, what we're getting at when we talk about vertical faith. We call this loving God, right? We call this vertical faith. But he continues. So he says, this is the first, this is the most important. And then he says, second is love your neighbor as yourself. This is the second greatest, he says. This is loving others. And so you can think of it this way, right? In, in, in these two verses, these couple verses, he's talking about loving God, right? This is, this is worship. This is, this is your prayer life. This is devotion. This is reading God's word, uh, right? This is, this is your Sabbath time. This is loving God. And then, then there's loving others. Well, maybe we call that doing ministry in this room, Right? And there's a difference between these two things. See, understand, understand that loving God first comes from God who loves you first, who loves you perfectly. And in God's perfect love for you, he inspires in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, a response that you might love God. Now, so often we fall short in the midst of that, right? So often we fall short because, because even though there's a difference between loving God and loving others, even though loving God, loving others matter, so often we minimize what Jesus maximized. See, there is a difference here, a difference between loving God and loving others. And I really think this is where youth workers get things mixed up. Because we allow our increasing ministry to decrease our intimacy. And when we don't see the difference, the difference between loving God, loving others in that order, that's when it becomes a ministry-focused life rather than a God-focused life. 
and it's what I've struggled with in the midst of my life in ministry. Because God is so much more concerned with your heart than you're doing. Amen? Amen. So we all need a heart check. And that's the first marker of effective youth ministry. Here's the second marker. Steer clear of compliments and comparisons. It was 2001. I was returning from a youth gathering in New Orleans. Right? I had a group of kids. I thought it was a great event. Um, and, and so we get home and I'm exhausted, like you guys are right now, right? Fast forward two more days and you're gonna be like, I am spent, get me home, right? Let me put my feet up and take a nap. Well, so I'm home, we're getting the kids uh, all handed off and I, I finally get home and I do that. I kick my feet up and, and I'm kind of sitting there reflecting. How can you not reflect on what's been happening, right, at an event like this. So I'm reflecting, and, and I'm kind of I'm chuckling because as we dropped off kids, there was only three adults, three parents that said, thank you, how was your vacation with the kids, <laughs> right? And so I'm chuckling at that, and then my mind kind of goes to the kids, and I smile. I smile, I think about certainly some of the challenges, but all the growth that we saw happen. And then my mind shifts to Joey. Joey struggled right? Joey was a little combative, didn't really want to pay attention. He was, he was kind of the comic of the group. And, and so we had to have a heart to heart, talk about expectations and how he's disruptive. And, and from that moment, when we had this hard conversation, all of a sudden, this relationship with Joey began to develop, right? And in the midst of our time together, as I would pray for him, he began to share more and more about his home life, right? And I could see by the end of the week, whoa, Joey has changed, Whoa, Joey is, is, is connected to the group. Wow, thank you, God, that I could be a part of that. Right? And so I'm reflecting on this. I'm giving thanks to God, and all of a sudden, my phone rings. And guess who it was on the phone? Joey's mom. And I'm like, here we go. I'm sure Joey went home, and he told about this amazing trip and how, how, how I invested in him, right? All right, I'm like, come on. Come on, Mama. Give it to me. Let it rain down. And she asked me why he didn't come home with all his socks. She asked me why she heard stories that the boys were using their axe spray on bugs in the hotel. That's what she shared with me. Maybe you can share a similar story or situation, right? where you feel like you put your, your whole self on the line and, and it sure would be nice to get a compliment and you just get questioned or doubted or feedback that kind of hurts. Here's the thing. Friends, you need to understand that if you are looking for validation from anyone, from anywhere else but your heavenly father, you're gonna be disappointed at times. What you need to lean into and take hold of is that God has you exactly where he wants you to be. And if you're doubting your role in youth ministry, if you feel ill-equipped, welcome to the club. But God has you exactly where he needs you to be. And he affirms that. That is the compliment and the truth that you take hold of and you hold close in your heart. And so we need to steer clear of compliments, but we also need to steer clear of the comparison trap. I spent a little time in the adult relaxation area and I was, I was talking with a few folks and I tell you, we all compare ourselves, right? You might even do it in your own group. Maybe you have other leaders and you're going, man, I wish I was fun. 
All the kids seem to laugh and, and enjoy him more than me. Or you might compare your youth group with another youth group. Or you might compare your youth leader with another youth leader. You might compare your pastor with another pastor. We all do it, right? We compare things. We begin to say, gosh, I really wish we could have that many kids like they do. Gosh, how come they can get all their kids to come to everything and our kids will only come to glow bowling? You begin to compare, right? And we all do this. Have you ever heard that phrase? The grass is always greener on the other side. And it's not a real phrase in the sense that it's truth. The truth is the grass is always greener where it's watered. God has you exactly where he needs you to be for kingdom reasons. Embrace that. Pray and lean into that, that he would inspire and use you in powerful ways. And so, number two is steer clear of compliments and comparisons. And so, marker three, people before program. Everyone say, people before program. Have you heard that phrase before? People before program? You may have something well planned out, and a need comes up for an individual and you toss the program to focus on the individual. Yeah, and that's, that's a good way to describe that, right? That's a really good description. And, and sometimes, sometimes it goes back to that first point, we get so busy, right? So busy putting on the perfect event that that's what we're focused on when sometimes we miss the people, the kids that we serve. And that's so important for us to think about. I wanna tell you a story about Blake. Blake, um, Blake was in, in, our, in my youth group uh, Blake was a, an African-American in a uh, kind of a, a suburban setting. Blake was fiercely intelligent. But Blake was like the only African-American that was, that was connected to our, our ministry. And so he stood out, right? And so he kind of played the part. He was a little aggressive at times. He was sarcastic, but he was so smart. Well, kids in our youth group loved Blake, and they started inviting him. And so he started coming, you know, and, and Blake kind of grew on me. I was like, okay, this guy, I kind of get, kind of get that he's a little silly, a little goofy, but, but I enjoy him coming to, to youth ministry. And, and, and so we had planned this servant event that we were going on to, to Colorado, this, this mission trip. And, and some kids said, hey, uh, Blake is saying that he'd love to come along. And I said, well, have him come talk to me. And he did. And, and we talked about expectations and what it meant to be there and attend and, and do the pre-stuff and the post-stuff. He was all in, but I knew there was no way that Blake would be able to afford a trip like that. And so we talked a little bit about finances. And I said, I tell you what, Blake, if you do all these things leading up to it, um, I'm going to go out there and see if I can find an angel to cover your costs. It was no problem. Easily found in, uh, two angels that covered all his costs. Right, so he comes along on this trip with us. Right, and this trip is filled with Bible study. It's filled with games. We went whitewater rafting. We did amazing things, right? Well, one of the things that we did is one morning, you wake up really, really early before the sun is up and you, you climb this mountain called Cedar Point. And so we, we climb this mountain and there we are sitting there as the sun's coming up and Blake, everyone's kind of together talking, watching the sunrise and Blake is by himself. I go, huh. I wonder why Blake's by himself. So I just kind of wander over, really for no particular reason, probably a nudging from the spirit. I, I walk over and I just sit down by Blake. I didn't really have anything I was going to ask. I was kind of tired. It was still early and I sit down. And after a few moments of silence, Blake says, everyone thinks the people I live with are my parents. It's my grandma and grandpa. My dad's in jail. I've never met my mom. 
she doesn't want me. Why doesn't she want me? What's wrong with me? He began to just outpour his heart. I listened. He cried. We prayed. What do you think Blake remembers about that trip? Think he remembers whitewater rafting? Think he remembers Bible study, even the games? Or do you think he remembers this moment? People before program, right? People before program. And so, so in the midst of this idea of people before program, I'm going to give you three sub points that help us kind of gather a clearer understanding of what this means. And here's the first one, this idea of pursuing the one. And when I say pursue the one, I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about the individual youth. And so uh, lifting up people in your ministry, in your youth ministry, is a balancing act. Right? It's a little bit of a balancing act between an individual and a crowd. And so understand, I get that there's this balance between large group and crowd and the individual and this, this need to consistently pursue the one. Uh, so I, I, I serve at a church, you heard me, uh, Hills Corners Lutheran Church. It's a giant, 9,000 members, right? We've got 600 in our school. In my confirmation program alone, I've got 400 kids. I get the challenge of crowd and individual but it doesn't change the truth of this point, the importance of pursuing the one. There's this balance, and you know who's a master at this? Jesus. Think of Jesus' ministry, right? Uh, there's a story of, of a group of people that tear open a roof for their friend, and they drop down his friend who's paralyzed, and Jesus stops everything and focuses on the one. There's, there's Jesus in a crowd and a woman who's hemorrhaging walks through the crowd just to touch him. She touches him, he stops, and he focuses on the one. There's a little wee little man up in a tree. <laughs> Jesus stops everything and focuses on the one. Jesus is an amazing example of this truth, the importance of pursuing the one. It's the essence of relational ministry. So we pursue the one and we believe in them. Listen, teenagers need to know that you believe in them. There is so much self-doubt. There are so many voices in their lives that tell them the contrary, that they're not worth it, right? You can literally change someone's life with four words. I believe in you. If you don't believe me, try it. You gotta mean it, but try it. Jesus did this with the disciples, right? Think about Peter. Peter's always messing up. And what does he do? He gives him a new name. Peter, the rock, right? And the disciples are probably like, rock, really? He's pebbles, come on, don't go there, right? But he renames him and he builds his church on Peter, right? He believes in them and Jesus is a great example of believing in them. So you pursue the one, you believe in them, and then there's this one, you affirm them. And so how do you affirm your kids? Think about this for a moment. You affirm your kids by encouraging them with words, maybe with text, maybe with notes, right? And, and affirm them, affirm them in, in not just worldly qualities, right? Great job on your game. You looked beautiful in that dress. Congratulations on homecoming queen, right? No, think about godly things. Lift up godly characters. Think about values that you see them display, right? Because those other things are what the world focuses on. 
Lift up those things. And I promise you, if you write them a note lifting them up in some way, affirming them, sending them a text, it will change your relationship. It might even change your youth group. What would happen if tonight, as tired as you are, if you took everyone in your youth group or divvied it up and you wrote notes of affirmation to them and you gave them to them tomorrow? What would happen? Say that again. In their, so you, as you gave them their money envelope, you had a note with them. Praise God, right? People before program. That's exactly what it is, and that's what you're doing. Affirm them. And so, check your heart. Steer clear of compliments and comparisons. People before program and listen. And you might sit here and go, seriously, Jameson? Listen? Think about this for a moment. I have learned so much by just listening to kids, right? When they're eating, listening. Here at a national youth gathering, listening. I might not always like what they're saying, but how can I truly enter into their world if I don't just shut up and listen? And so I've learned a ton by just being quiet and listening, peering into what they're about and what they do. And so here's the thing. To be a good listener, you have to be really, really good at what? At listening. To be really, really good at listening. So here's three ways for you to think about or to rethink about listening. You got to listen with your ears. That's another one where you're going, seriously? Think about that for a moment. Truly listen with your ears. And so if you are listening with your ears, what needs to be shut? right? Let them finish what they're saying. Don't end their sentences. Certainly, certainly speak into it and ask clarifying questions, but then remain quiet. Let them talk. So listen with your ears and then listen with your eyes. What does that mean, right? It means you're not looking at your phone, not looking at your watch, or if kids are in front of you, you're not looking at what's happening behind them. Listen with your eyes, Focus on them. Look at them. It might seem like simple things, but if you really think about it, how often do you kind of drop the ball on this? I know I do. So listen with your eyes and then listen with your face. As they share, as they talk, are you reflecting on your face? If it's a moment where they're hurting, are you empathetic? Right? Are you angry with them to, to be by them side? If they're saying a joke, are you smiling? How can you also listen with your face. Because here's the thing. People listen to people who listen. Youth listen to people who listen. And so, these three ways to kind of relearn or rethink about listening. So, today, Markers of effective youth ministry. We're checking our hearts. We're steering clear of comparisons, comparisons and compliments. We are people before program and we're listening. Now, I totally get, even in just 40 minutes together, that there's a ton to process and take with you, right? But we can all take something if we filter what we've heard and we take away one nugget, one gem. So I want you to take a moment and think about what are you taking with you? What are, taking, what are you taking with you today? 